But Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. That's Psalm 31, which along with Psalm 132 of the Psalms appointed for today, Thursday, October the 7th, 2021. Thank you for listening to Faith Seeking Understanding. My name is John Green, and I'm your host. Thanks for being along. We're still continuing looking at the life of Josiah, <clears throat> the king of Judah, the best king Judah ever had after David, frankly. And then after that, we, we're continuing our look at uh, the first epistle of Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 12, the first 11 verses, and in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 18 to 26. So in this passage, what we hear, remember that Josiah had 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 been handed, given, whatever, the uh, book of the law that had been discovered in the temple as they were trying to clean it up after the mess previous kings, including the wicked king Manasseh, had made. And so Josiah repented heartily because he received the word of the Lord as a judgment and said, oh my gosh, we have utterly, utterly failed to keep the covenant that we had with the living God. It's it, We can see these recoveries from time to time, and you know what that's called in the church? It's called revival. When the Word of God again becomes real and living and active in our lives, and it divides like any two-edged sword between joints and marrow. And, and it's important that we allow the Word of God to do that to us, to speak to us and to convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment in order that we might become truly the people of God, that we might renew that covenant. And it's got to be renewed every generation has to renew their covenant with God. A, a church doesn't exist forever. It, it exists to the extent that it's willing to renew the covenant that, with the Lord and, and to keep His Word and to value his word, and to love his son. And so here in Second in Kings, what we've got is, is, is he's good, Josiah is going to clean everything up. He is the greatest reformer in the history of the nation. The king commanded Hilkiah the priest, and this is a long list, and I'm mostly just going to read it, to be honest with you. The king commanded Hilkiah the high priest, and the priests of the second order, and the keepers of the threshold, to bring out of the temple of the Lord the vessels made for Baal, and Asherah, and for all the host of heaven. I mean, it's an amazing thing that those things were in the house of the Lord to start with. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. So pay attention to Kidron and how often it comes up. We're going to talk about that a little bit. And he deposed the priests who the kings of Judah had ordained to make offerings in the high places at the cities of Judah and around Jerusalem. Those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and the moon and the constellations and all the hosts of the heavens. There's a reason that none of those are named in the creation account in Genesis 1, by the way. The greater light and the lesser light are the way they're referred to is because people worship them as the sun and the moon and the stars. And so it, they're not named in that way because they're just parts of creation. And we've not even come close to the apex of creation. The only part of creation that's actually named is Adam, Adam. And so these other things are just things that were created. And so he brings out the Asherah from the house of the Lord outside Jerusalem to the brook Kidron and burned it at the brook Kidron and beat it to dust and cast the dust of it upon the graves of the common people. And he broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes who were in the house of the Lord where the women wove hangings for the Asherah. 
And he brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had made offering from Geba to Beersheba, and this is to other gods. And he broke down the high places of the gates that were at the entrance to the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on one's left at the gate of the city. However, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they had unleavened bread among their brothers, so they stayed out there. And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no one might burn his son or daughter as an offering to Molech. I mean, how horrible was it in the in the land? At that time, they had polluted the land with all the gods of the peoples who had been driven out in the time of Joshua. And he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun, at the entrance to the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melech, the chamberlain, which was in the precincts. And he burned the chariots of the sun with fire and the altars on the roof of the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars that Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He pulled down and broke into pieces, cast the dust of them into the brook Kidron. And the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem, to the south of the Mount of Corruption, east of Jerusalem, by the way, is where the Kidron actually is. The Kidron Valley separates the Temple Mount and the Mount of Olives. Jesus passed through there every single day during the last week of his life. So he, he defiled the high places east of Jerusalem to the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Sidonians, and for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And he broke in places the pillars and cut down the Asherim and filled their places with the bones of men. Moreover, the altar at Bethel, he's leaving the land here. He's going up into the the northern kingdom. The altar at Bethel, the high place erected by Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. So that altar with the high place, he pulled down and burned, reducing it to dust. He also burned the Asherah. And as he turned, he saw the tombs there on the mount, and he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it, according to the word of the Lord that the man of God proclaimed, who had predicted these things. Then he said, What is that monument I see? And the men of the city said to him, It's the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and predicted these things that you have done against the altar at Bethel. And he said, Let him be. Let no man remove his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came out of Samaria. And Josiah removed all the shrines also of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which kings of Israel had made, provoking the Lord to anger. This is the northern kingdom particularly is what they're talking about. He did to them all according to what he had done at Bethel. And he sacrificed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned human bones on them. Then he returned to Jerusalem. And the king commanded all the people, Keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as is written in the book of the covenant. For no such Passover has been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel, or during the days of the kings of Israel, or the kings of Judah. But in the eighteenth year of King Josiah, this Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah put away all the mediums and the necromancers and the household gods and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Before him there was no king like him, who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. Josiah was the greatest reformer of all in the history of Jerusalem. And again, this thing about the brook Kidron, again, that's the brook that runs through that valley that cuts between Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives. And it's an important place. It's where the Garden of Gethsemane was. But it's also the place where at the altar, when the sacrifices were made, there were two drainage holes under the altar, and the blood of all the sacrifices 
ran down through the brook Kidron into the Kidron Valley and then beyond into the Dead Sea. And so we have Jesus constantly passing over that as he went out day by day during that last week of his life. And so the, the altar of the sacrifices contained the blood of the sacrifices and they poured through this brook. And on the day that Jesus was crucified, that brook would have run red with the blood of the Passover lambs being sacrificed that day, but not until late in the afternoon. Because it was in the Mishnah, we see that there was a special provision only on the day of Passover, on the day with preparation when the lambs were slaughtered. And those holes, those drainage holes beneath the altar were plugged up for the day because it was important for some reason that the priests slosh around in the blood of all these lambs being slaughtered that day. And only late in the day did they open the water channel into that area so that the water could wash all of that clean. And when they did, they opened the plugs underneath the altar and all that blood rushed out through the Brook Kidron at approximately the same time Jesus was dying on the cross. It's a powerful, powerful image, but it's the valley of death. It's the place where all the defiled things went and were were destroyed here. And also in Hezekiah's time, this is where sin of the people was dealt with, was in, in the brook Kidron, because the, the it had already been defiled by all the blood that came out from the temple, from the sacrifices, and went through that channel, the brook Kidron. And so that's why these defiled things were burned and the ashes dumped in the brook Kidron. It, again, it's a powerful, powerful symbol. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is speaking uh, to the to the um, Disciples of John, remember, he, he had explained to them why his disciples weren't fasting. While he was saying to these things, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she'll live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. So he's leaving this defiled place where all these tax collectors and sinners are. And, he, and the tax collector, not the tax collector, but the ruler, the synagogue ruler, is desperate here. He doesn't care who Jesus has been with. All he knows is his daughter's Uh, died, and he wants Jesus to to raise her from the dead. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I'll be made well. And Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. Again, he's defiled by contact here with the tax collectors and the sinners, and now with this woman with the issue of blood. But the man doesn't care. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players in the crowd making a commotion, these are the mourners, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. They thought he was a fool. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. It's a painful thing to imagine this, but what a wonderful thing, ultimately, that this man's perseverance and faith, not concerning himself with whether or not Jesus had been defiled, only thing he cared about was his daughter had died, and he believed that this man of all men on earth could raise her from the dead. And so his faith and his persistence is absolutely completely rewarded with the resurrection of his daughter in this moment. What a wonderful and beautiful thing that is that she has passed through the valley of the shadow of death and so has her father and now she is restored to him completely in paul in 
Paul's epistle to the Romans or to the Corinthians, sorry, we're getting now into uh, he's going to talk about spiritual gifts. And and it, it, it would have to have been an odd discussion, to say the least. He's talking to this Corinthian church, which probably some of them would have been Jews, some of them would have been Gentiles. And he, he's going to explain something to them, the, a phenomenon to them that they're not familiar with. What in the world is going on here? He says, concerning spiritual gifts, and the word actually is just spirituals, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to understand all things. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. So mute idols are non-living things. And he's speaking here about instead, now that you're not a pagan anymore, you follow the living God. And so that living God is now going to speak through his people, through the word of God, but also through his people. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no, which is what the Jews said, that he was accursed because he died on the, the cross. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so we often will tell people to give them comfort that, yes, you have faith, that when you say Jesus is Lord, it's by the Holy Spirit that allows you to say that with faith and confidence, knowing that this is the truth par excellence. He said, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in every one. So it's what, what he's trying to say to him is you need to understand something really serious and important here. Before you might have served many gods, quote, unquote, and many being M-A-N-Y, but it could be many also, M-I-N-I. But, but he says that here in, in this, what's going on is there is one God. I mean, he's going back to his Jewish roots here. There's one God, and there's one Spirit. There are not multiple spirits. There's only one. So don't mistake this for many gods, many spirits speaking. There's one. And these gifts all flow out of one channel. He said, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In other words, these things are all intended. They come from one God, and they're intended for you to be one people through the power of the Holy Spirit, pulling you all together through the various gifts as they're manifested in the congregation. One is given the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom, and another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. And all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And it's important right there that we embrace that idea and that we understand this. And so in the church, to the extent that all profess the same Lord and all can can basically tick all the boxes on the creed and say, yes, these are the things that I believe. These are the things I believe about the Father. These are the things I believe about the Son. These are the things I believe about the Spirit. These are the things about I believe about what is to come. These are the things that I believe about the meaning of all these things. Then, then once we've embraced that, once we have confessed that together, and we are one accord in our confession of him, then the gifts of the Spirit should be operating within the church. They can operate through each person in different ways, but it's the same Spirit. There's only one Holy Spirit, just as there's only one Savior, just as there is only one Father. And so now we... So, so it's basically e pluribus unum, right? So out of many, one. By the gifts and the operation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
And, and I think too often in the church today, what we do is we abandon everything into about two different groups, right? We, so we, we get those who proclaim, those who teach. I consider proclamation, whether in preaching or teaching, to be the same basic kind of thing. So we get that, and then those who perform, you know, they sing, they lead worship, whatever word you want to use on it. I'm not trying to diminish that in any way. But then what's everybody else's role? It's it's to congregate, right? I, I don't see a gift of congregating anywhere in this list that Paul provides here. No, we're all intended to be empowered by the Holy Spirit for the common good. And it's not the exaltation of one or two things. No, it's it's the expectation is is that all God's people are empowered and gifted in, in, for the common good. It's not that your your um, gifts have value somewhere over here. No, 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 no. They all come together, and they're all intended to work for the common good. And we're not intended to elevate and exalt some over others. But but the expectation is if you are confessing that Jesus is Lord, that you have been given a gift that's for the common good of the church. And so it's important for us all to be connected, and it's important for us to all be one in the body of Christ so that no one is diminished and no one is diminished.